Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. Today we're going to be talking about Evergrande. We're going to be talking about our first sponsor for the channel, Motley Fool. Thank you very much. Link in the description. We're going to be talking about crypto, stocks, real estate, and, uh, and, and some of the latest stock market drama, which we had a lot of today. It was a very stressful day. Uh, so let's get started. <laughs> Jeremy, what's going What's the latest? What's going on? Well, there's a whole lot going on. Holy smokes, this ain't no joke because we're getting our flapjacks flipped out here. NASDAQ <laughs> down almost 3% today. It was a rough one, man. I mean, it was a countless stocks down 4, 5, 6, 7%. Anything seen as risk on, man, did it get hurt today. I mean, just absolutely devastated. The one stocks that held pretty decent today is needs-based plays. Like I was looking at Walgreens today, Pfizer, Honest, anything, uh, a Switch, which is a data center company, any of those business models that are needs-based seem to hold well. So, uh, but yeah, Graham, what, what do you have to say about all this? Yeah, speaking of needs-based, you know what really didn't go down today is win. Yeah. I think it's already, <laughs> surprisingly enough, I, I was watching, I was hoping it would drop like below 80 today. Surprise, it, it didn't do it, barely moved. It's a needs-based company. People have to gamble <laughs> somewhere. And uh, if they're in Macau, they're going to go to win. Um, so, yeah. So you might also notice that. Uh, thank you, Graham fan, for providing me with this. And uh, might be a good time to also mention we got our first sponsor today, the Motley Fool. And uh, so what we've done, we've kind of done a unique partnership with them. Each of us is submitting to them five of our stocks. And then they're going to issue a report tracking all of them to see whose five stocks end up doing the best. So if you want to see the five stocks that I picked for this uh, kind of competition-ish thing, the link is down below in the description. We'll highly recommend. Just check it out, and uh, you'll be able to see which ones I did and how they perform over the next uh, you know, few months. I, I think I'll win. But, uh, Kevin, you know, good luck. Jeremy, good luck you with you, Jeff. And Andre, you good know, luck with your uh, cryptocurrencies. The S&P 500 <laughs> can only go up so much over the next few months, Graham. <laughs> well... <sighs> You'll see. But anyway, the link to that is down below in the description. I'm uh, very thankful that they uh, sponsored us. Yeah. Thank you, Motley Fool. Wait, yeah. so how, much of the market, how much of the market dropped this uh, today? 3%? What is that? Almost, almost 3% for the NASDAQ, which is a- Wake me up when it's like 10 <laughs> or 20%, bro. That's like a every hour in crypto. Oh, yeah. No, no, don't worry. When it drops 10 to 20%, Bitcoin will be at 10K. So you'll, you'll know. <laughs> you'll be aware. You'll be very be aware. Buying. I would love to be buying a 10K. Hey, Actually, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I was, no, I was, I was, no, go ahead. Go so ahead. Last, last week, you guys remember we were talking about Evergrande, and I remember mildly debating with Kevin about whether or not they were going to make their payments. And Kevin's like, oh, but don't worry. They've made their payments. They said they were going to make it. And I was like, yeah, they're saying a lot of things. <laughs> and look what happened. They didn't make the payment. But wait a second! Don't they have thirty? They have thirty days before it's late, right? 
this is their grace period. Am, am I wrong here? They have 30 I days. I believe they're already late, but yeah, I guess they do have 30 days to pay it. But well, it's, it's kind of like you, you yeah. know, you miss miss your rent payment on the first. You're late. Now you owe a late fee. You're in default, right? Uh, but then you get sort of this right of, well, maybe right of redemption might come later. But, uh, you know, default action can start occurring after 30 days. Bondholders can start staking their claims, right? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, Andre, you're right. I mean, last week uh, when, when the Evergrande crisis kind of first started, I thought, okay, you know, uh, they're, they're all, they're all, everybody's saying it's, it's going to be contained. The analyst, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, Christine Lagarde over at the ECB, European Central Bank. And, uh, and, and I, I believed it, but every day I read more and more and I'm like, wait a minute, these guys are like potentially totally shysters. And that's putting it politely because when you start noticing People who have like $50 million invested in, uh, and, and they're insiders, and they're dumping their shares. And you're starting to notice, uh, you know, the, the bond market uh, discounting uh, Evergrande's bonds by, what, to like 30 cents on the dollar or whatever. So you're going, well, maybe, maybe things aren't as peachy and rosy, right? And it's right. not just that company. And that's the crazy thing, is the banks that lent Evergrande a lot of money their stocks are getting wrecked. And so this is where this weekend I started getting a little nervous. I'm like, oh man, this this could potentially end up getting worse, especially since, as Andre said, they said they were going to make the payment by Thursday. Thursday rolls around, no evidence. They made the payment and the people who were supposed to receive the payment didn't get a payment. So yeah, you know, to me, it's, it's messy. And I think, I honestly think, that's why the market had such heart palpitations, uh, mostly today, but but also a little bit yesterday. Uh, I don't now, know. What do y'all think? My question is: um, did, does, did this change for any of you guys' perspectives as far as how this will impact us on a global level? Because in my video when I talked about it, I just looked at the top four bondholders, but I don't know if there's anything I'm missing. If there's anything I'm not looking at, like like you said, whether it's the banks or if they have deeper connections and relationships that they're not disclosing or offshore bank accounts with an insane amount of money. Like, I don't know what to look at, but I just looked at the top four bondholders, which were just basically hedge funds and, you know, the BlackRock and those kinds of companies where their stake is, I think, no more than half a percent uh, for any of the given bondholders. So. Is there anything else that we're not looking at? Why the market it's would be so it's, it's real estate debt, right? We've it's in addition to bonds. It's also now the real estate debt it, itself. In uh, and, and so uh, if the real estate if properties are getting written down like crazy, now you basically have set up this sort of like micro two thousand eight, where it's like, wait a minute, you know, you had just to make math simple, you had a hundred thousand dollar property. Chinese banking laws were so ridiculous you could have like a hundred to a hundred ten thousand dollar loan on it because you were developing it or whatever. Uh, but now, if that property is worth thirty or forty thousand dollars, that loan is way upside down. And there are smaller banks, and when I say smaller, they're still big. Like there's this one bank I can't remember the name. Um, gosh, I just talked to it was like Min Sheng or something like that. Anyway, I just I did a video on it, and uh, they have six hundred billion dollars under uh, asset of assets under management. Uh, and a lot of the loans they made were to Evergrande. Well, now these loans are at massive risk of default. And uh, what's so crazy is I looked up Lehman Brothers size right before the collapse. 
And they also had about $600 billion under management. The problem was the underlying assets were only worth like $25 billion. So Lehman Brothers led to the 2008 contagion, which there were obviously many other crazy factors going on in the market. But yeah, I mean, here's something similarly sized just uh, 13 years later. Crazy. So do you think that that this has the potential to actually be a Lehman Brothers sized collapse that will affect the global economy? Or do you think it's just going to be contained in China? I think I think we should all answer that one. I'll I'll answer quickly and just say I I don't think uh, this is uh, this is the start of like a Lehman Brothers kind of uh, a collapse or great recession again. Uh, banking the banking systems are much more resilient now than they ever have been. At least so we're told, right? But uh, the the where am I trying to go with this? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> now I totally just lost my train yeah. of thought. But what, more what I'm trying to say? It's more contained. Go ahead, Graham. Oh, you, you were saying it was more contained than it was. Oh, yeah. Okay. So more contained. But really uh, what I think is markets are reacting to is the potential. It's always that uncertainty and the fear over it. And I think that's what markets are reacting to is a lot of uncertainty. And I think crypto is kind of like our, our, our first... Uh, you know, our first sort of a defense wall, so to speak. And, and so the more crypto gets beaten, the more I think that could kind of spill over into our markets. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think maybe the first was actually the the high growth stocks getting devastated over the springtime. Then you get this Chinese situation, uh, the, the debt crisis over there. And, and does is this the time the bubble really pops? Because I think if you really look at that market, it's hard not to think it's a bubble, right? Average is it's like 29x income um, to property value. Um, you know, it's out of control and in a lot of cities it's 40x. I mean, there's no doubt if you look at the numbers, it's hard not to say it's a it's a bubble over there. It's just, is this a time it really pops? And I think it's a domino game, right? It's like if Chinese real estate slows or stops, grinds to a halt, and um, let's say the Chinese banking system's hurt in a major way and they're they're not able to prevent this, right? What if all of a sudden, you know, uh, that bleeds into something else and then that bleeds into something else and then maybe the crypto markets hit the stock markets. It's like dominoes falling right the wrong way. And um, I don't know if you guys saw there was a there was an interesting study Michael Burry had posted recently, which was something like he, he's he's basically saying like the, the stock market doesn't work efficiently. And um, oh, yeah, he was it was kind of around like for every one dollar put into a stock, it really acts as five dollars put into the stock yeah. and going the other way, it could, it could work the same way. Like a $1 outflow is actually a $5 outflow. So it was just an interesting study, really, really in depth. I've even gotten to take a, take a look at it, but um, yeah. What's, what's your two cents there, Graham? Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I feel like a lot of it's going to be contained. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of us companies have like too big of an exposure. I think for, for China, it's going to be, pretty disastrous if they default. I think the biggest thing would be real estate. And I think people's perception of real estate is a way to store their wealth. I mean, a lot of people are going to be burned by this and they'll think twice before they go and put a deposit down on a property. So I think it could be quite some time. I mean, and we're assuming, by the way, the worst case where this thing just topples over, nothing happens. They're not able to structure their debt. Maybe they're, you know, China could make an example of them and say, this is, this is why capitalism is bad. But I don't know. I, I'm a firm believer that uh, most likely that the fear is going to be worse than the outcome. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, sure, it's a little bit concerning that, uh, you know, China originally came out and said, don't worry, we got it, guys. And then whispers to the banks, hey, uh, just prepare for this to get a lot worse. 
So they, they say one thing and then they also say another. So we have no clue. Yeah. And, and Andre, what, what's the tether situation with the uh, Evergrande or Evergrande? Uh, didn't they own a bunch of tether or something like that? I, I don't really remember exactly what's going on there. Yeah, it's kind of another case of like Evergrande telling people like, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And just I think it's against Tether's interest to be honest in this situation and be like, yeah, we own a ton of you know Evergrande's assets and bonds. Of course, they'd never admit that. So I don't think anyone knows exactly how they're exposed to it. Um, but so far as what they said, they said they own no assets from Evergrande. So apparently everything should be fine. But again, tomorrow we could find out, just kidding, 90% of Tether's assets are in Evergrande bonds. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Like, to Graham's point, maybe uh, maybe we have a lot of uh, investors and consumers, I wonder, if, if China gets devastated, how much would that affect the U.S. market? If, if people are going to get hurt, would they travel less? Would they come here less? Like, how would that really impact the rest of our economy here since we do so much business with, with China? I mean, even in Vegas here, all of our casinos, like Chinese New Year, that's like the biggest event that casinos put together here. So I'm wondering, like, even for Vegas, for us, that could be a really big deal. One thing I will say about Vegas is um, it's on fire right now because of, of all the Americans coming to, out here. Right. And then also when CEO said recently that they just opened up, uh, Euro Europeans can start coming over here. I don't, I don't know if it's November. Um, mm. And the Win CEO said that they went from basically no bookings out of Europe to instantly like hundreds of people a day wow. trying to book, book rooms at the Win. So, um, yeah, international travel, like, you know, obviously in, in the United States, we can kind of travel, you know, at least inside the United States where we want now. But still, there's a lot of international travel that's still blocked that they're just starting to allow again, which I don't think right. a lot of people are even factoring in. So. That's a good point. But yeah, we don't have that stimulus pump too this year. That, that that's really intriguing. Like I don't, I think I don't know if anybody really knows how much the stimulus pump really helped us. And I'm talking about when I say the stimulus pump, I'm talking about the money that actually went into people's hands. Those thousand dollar checks or two thousand or whatever they were. And what was there three rounds of that? You know, I don't know if we'll ever know how much that really helped the stock market, the crypto market, and just overall people's spending. I don't think we'll ever know the truth there but um it's interesting because now we just don't have that right and i think unemployment has went away for the most part and i just wonder like what the, what the effects are of that over over the next year yeah now, i want to hear what you guys think the um there's so many studies and all this research and they're like, oh, we're not really seeing the unemployment rate decline in areas that, let's say, ended the um, $300 unemployment boost before other states. Because like half of our states ended the boost. Uh, half of them didn't. Uh, now they're all done. The, the $300 boost is done for all of them. But there were some studies that were done on that. And the studies were saying, oh, we're not really seeing a difference in people getting employed. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a matter of people getting paid to stay at home. But then when I actually talk to business owners, the business owners are like, oh, I got a flood of new business app or uh, job applications right around September 3rd, right when the, the boost expired <laughs> here in California, right? And it's like, yeah, I mean, look, it makes sense, but it's like, how do the studies miss it? I, I don't know. Yeah, well, Birkin bags went up in value, so we can say that much. <laughs> $1,200 Birkin bags. Perfect. Uh, Graham, you remember that? Yeah. Detroit Birkin bags? Yep. Good investments. How's he doing? <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't talked to him in, uh, gosh, probably over a year and a half. He was one of my uh, first victims of millennial money. 
Kevin and I um, flew out to uh, visit him in person after that video got like a million views in like a week, which is wild. We flew out to Detroit, met with him in person, gave him uh, some advice on spending. But yeah, he's spending a lot of money on Birkin bags that uh, he explained to us are good investments. He buys them at 15, 20 grand, keeps them in good condition, can sell them later for 25. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kevin, I'm, I'm curious about the whole uh, Warren, uh, Senator Warren and, and uh, Jerome Powell situation. What's that drama? I didn't follow that, but I know they, yeah. they don't really like each other. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, Janet Yellen just railed on him this morning for uh, basically she said what I'm going to give you just the short gist of it. Basically, she said there are too many Republicans in charge of our finances, including Jerome Powell, who is a registered Republican. And Republicans are the reason the seeds were planted for the 2008 Great Recession. And now she thinks Jerome Powell is planting the same kinds of seeds that he is a dangerous person and that she will not support his renomination. Now, mm. personally, I think this is just Elizabeth Warren saying crazy stuff because that's what gets her the views. That's what gets people talking about her. That gets her the media attention. It's a very AOC-esque strategy. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's a very, look, they're progressives. That's what they say. Anything they could say to beat up on on the, the complicated institutions that could have, quite frankly, contributed to uh, the 2008 recessions or wealthy people or corporations or whatever, that's what they're going to do. So if Elizabeth Warren in a Senate hearing can go in front of Jerome Powell and diss him to his face uh, and, and get a ton of press for it, totally. The next guy, literally the very next senator who has equal voting power as her, you know, you've got 100 senators, equal voting power. Same, same status. Well, maybe not social status, but but anyway, voting power status. Because you know, well, I really respect the chairman, uh, chairperson of the Federal Reserve, and I really look forward to working with him. He got zero press attention. She got mega press attention. Right? That's all it is, man. It's a game. It's politics of fear. Mm. Yeah, and it's not like she went. In, from my understanding, it's not like she went into super detail or something about no. like. Yeah. You know, if you were really that against him, you would go into detail like he did this and he should have done this instead. And he did this. It's like if you're just going to talk crazy like this is crazy talk, you know, that reminds me. It's, it's so interesting. You bring that up because uh, it just it just triggered me. AOC, like a month ago, I made, I remember making a video going about Jerome Powell's getting fired. And it was all about how like AOC wanted Jerome Powell kicked out of her place. And I, like, I just unconsciously made that link between them because they're always kind of doing this sort of stuff. So I wonder if she kind of like Warren took a cue off AOC. And that's what led me to dive into AOC's financial disclosures and go, you don't know the first thing about investing. <laughs> You're the last person who should be telling Jerome Powell how to run the country. Or, you know, Jerome, I think he's doing a great job. I think he's a he's great. He's doing a really good job. I, I don't see what's wrong with him personally, but I, I, it's not even a Republican stance or a Democratic stance. I just think he's doing a great job. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Stocks I think the only up. well, I listen. Stocks I think he's up. doing a good job too. I think the only complaint <laughs> seems to be from people who think that uh, he should be not only doing more. But uh, also risking inflation. It seems like it, it's one of those two things. I don't. I don't have any complaints so far. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's tough because I mean, if you're going to blame him for overspending, or let's just say like they feel like he's overspending, which we don't know what Warren's stance is on this. 
don't they want more spending? Don't they want more pumping of money out there to certain groups of people and things like that? It's just where it's like, what it is, they want the money allocated so that it doesn't benefit the wealthy. That is where, where I think this is. And, and they think his, his policies have benefited, you know, billionaires and stock prices have, have, you know, gone to record highs. And that benefits the people who have the extra money to invest. Whereas the people on the bottom, uh, aren't getting the equal benefit of the rest of the economy. Well, that's why we're talking about the trillion dollar coin again. It's like every time the government's running out of money or we need to raise money, it's like, oh, trillion dollar coin and it just becomes popular again. Um, did you guys hear about that? Did you see that story? No, tell us about it, Andre. Uh, yeah, I did a video about it, which like bombed. I don't know how I titled it wrong or what happened. I thought it was a really interesting story, but basically uh, the, the Congress can't come together and increase the debt ceiling. Um, I think the debt ceiling right now is like $28.5 trillion. Mm -hmm. And every now and again, we run into the ceiling and we have to increase it. But since the middle of the 1990s with Newt Gingrich, when he became the House Speaker, he basically eliminated the era of when Congress could come together and just, they were like, hey, let's, let's just increase the debt ceiling. It's the obvious thing to do because it pays for, you know, Social Security, Medicare, like payroll, a ton of things. So once we got rid of that, now we're just using it as a political football back and forth up to get concessions from one party and it's just like hey well if you raise the debt ceiling i'll give you this and it's like well, if you don't do that then you know we go into a shutdown and the american people suffer and so to go around that in, instead of increasing the debt ceiling they were thinking about just minting a platinum trillion dollar coin and i thought it was just a really interesting idea because it's this idea that just again like every year we seem to talk about it and uh it's, it's supposed to just solve the problem of, ra of raising the debt ceiling so we don't have to use Congress. Instead, we use the Treasury, where the Treasury mints the trillion dollars. We deposit that into the Federal Reserve, and with that, we use it to pay for, our, for the expenses. And the funny thing about that is politicians don't want to increase the debt ceiling because they don't want to be the party responsible for, for basically giving the government a quote-unquote blank check. So they don't want to do the sensible thing, even though it benefits everybody, because both Democrats and Republicans are going to be like, well, you spendy Democrats or, you know, oh, Republicans yeah. just want more tax cuts for the rich. And so, again, <laughs> it's like this political football that just keeps being tossed back and forth. And it's really silly because increasing the debt ceiling actually benefits everyone. Anyways, this is a really interesting uh, video that you should watch. <laughs> oh, man, don't get me started on the, the, the U.S. debt. I just got off the phone with a friend a couple hours ago and he was just railing on how much our debt is. And you know how much the interest is we have to pay per day. And then he's like, go to the usdebtclock.com. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's a fun website. A fun website <laughs> and he's like, put it in the future. Do the time machine version and go 10 yeah. years in the future. You're oh, going to be. God. And it's crazy because it is just massive, massive numbers. But w w how do we solve that? That was my thing. It's like you I don't think it needs to it. be solved, honestly. I mean, the, the truth is that the U.S. owes a significant portion of the debt to itself. A lot of that is Social Security. Um, you know, interest rates are so low. Their plan is to let inflation just do its thing and whittle away at it. I don't know. I think right now, I mean, it's it's high, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think as long as the U.S. continues to make its payments, it'll be fine. I think the, the biggest problem right now is probably just spending. Spending absurd amounts of money on who knows what at this point. That's what I think. But they're going to raise all your taxes to pay yes. for it. Exactly. <laughs>
Yeah, well, hopefully, you know what the funny thing is? I mean, it's not really funny, but uh, if they remove the salt cap, but they increase taxes everywhere else, for places like California, New Jersey, New York, the net benefit will probably be you save money on taxes. <laughs> so, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, if, if you're in those states, you'll save. So, you know. And the problem, too, with, with this, uh, the $3.5 trillion bill is we're so used to okay, we do this big stimulus package and then the money flows pretty quickly, right? PPP loans, EIDL, that stuff went pretty fast. We passed the first stimulus package on March 27th of 2020 uh, and stimulus checks were out by April 15th. Like that's pretty impressive speed, right? That was when we were in the middle of a crisis. Uh, so money flew into the economy very, very quickly. The problem with this $3.5 trillion package is it's not. It's going to flow into the economy over 10 years, but we're going to start increasing taxes immediately, potentially even in some cases retroactively, which is crazy. But That's anyway, yeah. you know, really what you're doing is you're you're taking from the economy to give back in a trickle. Uh, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Kevin, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Andre. No, I was going to say what I don't understand is how when we pass laws and we fund bills, we we agree on the law maybe when Congress comes to a vote, but then we don't agree on how to fund it. And then we end up arguing on how to pay for it, even though we already agreed on what it is, which is the funniest yeah, that's, thing. That's in the, the, world. the debt ceiling argument. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I agree. I think what you explained with Newt Gingrich, uh, Gingrich, whatever Newt was a hundred percent right on is it, mm. the debt ceiling was something that never was a political hot potato, but it became one because it was just an opportunity to negotiate, to hold something else hostage in negotiations. It was never intended for that sort of purpose, but yeah, like, when, when we pass a bill, we, we fund it either through debt uh, or higher taxes. Uh, we just have this like other hot potato then of, of this debt ceiling, which isn't a problem if we extend the debt ceiling to a certain point. You know, then we spend, spend, spend. It's no problem. Uh, we don't really have these arguments. But now we just have everything happening at the same time. The, the government could shut down in three days. You know, Friday we could be in a government shutdown. We could have uh, the debt ceiling, whatever, uh, you know, crisis where our government doesn't pay its obligations starting what october 18th is is d-day yeah. or x day is what they're calling it it's a disaster Jeremy, kevin, I, I was gonna say kevin if you don't mind uh in the group chat i just sent you something let's pull that up for the people i don't think a lot of people have ever really seen that before and we can we can talk over those numbers because that is uh the deck clock uh, the dash uh, <laughs> yeah you did it yeah you did it yeah. We can talk about these numbers here. I'm sure people, uh, like a lot of people probably never even seen this before. It really does put into, uh, you know, right in your face, like how big these numbers really are. It's crazy. Okay, so yeah, there we got national debt. So debt per citizen is 86,000. Hold on, give me one sec. Let me see if I can quickly make this a little bigger. Uh, oh, was did yeah, that fully show or I was could, it cropped? I could full yeah. screen you, by the way, Kevin. Yeah, let, let's full screen it. We don't need okay. to see our faces for right now. We can just chat. All right, oh. yeah, go ahead. There you go. All right, there we go. All right, so, uh, yeah, 86,000 debt per citizen. Wow, 228 debt per taxpayer because so many people aren't even a taxpayer, right? Like children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. 
228. That's an incredible number. So look at that U.S. federal debt to GDP ratio. But you know, let me let me ask you this. Really, just I mean, can we go bounce back to Foursquare for a sec? I want to ask you that the 228 yeah. debt per taxpayer. Uh, let's see if we can go back to four because I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think it's an interesting concept to think about. Uh, let's see here. Okay, yeah, 228 per person in debt. Could we individually? Uh, defend ourselves with tanks and guns and you know all like can we build our own roads and uh, can we do all of that crap and only have two hundred twenty eight thousand dollars of debt per citizen yeah. like i just that popped into my mind and i'm like 228 in debt wait a minute for all the things that i'd have to provide without government for myself that's actually not that bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true Depends. <laughs> I think you can make debates the other way too, but <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. So, yeah, right. look at that. I think something that people really get crazy at is that U.S. federal debt to GDP ratio. In 1980, we're at 34, and now we're at 125%. So we have more federal debt than than uh, you know uh, to G GDP than by far and away ever before, right? Um, and I think those are some of the most intriguing numbers. I'm trying to see here. Uh, income tax per per uh, income tax revenue, almost two billion. But when you look yeah. at some other numbers, it just gets dwarfed. Yeah, but interest rates back then, you have to think of how much that debt. It's like a mortgage. It's like if yeah. you have a 10% interest rate, of course you're going to buy last house. But when you have a one yeah. percent interest rate or a free interest rate. That allows you to buy more house. And so the price of the house is going to go up, but the payment might be the exact same. Yeah. Do you guys remember when bonds used to pay 15%? Me neither. Well, no, because we weren't alive, but we know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I would have loved to put my money in just bonds at 15% for life. Uh, yes. Average Farms remembers. Average <laughs> <laughs> Farms. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh gosh, but but yeah, I, I can understand why when you know if you look at that calculator, it's a scary thing, man. And that, we didn't even we didn't even go to like the the future in that. You know, you could go to the future and you could look at some of those numbers, and it just gets so crazy. It's like in, insane, right? So how is this being calculated in real time like that? Like, how is it going up and up and up? Like, wouldn't it go up in spurts? Like every time we approve on a bill, like how is it? Well, that would going be up dramatic. Like that? that would be boring so i feel like they they just they must project out okay this yeah. is what we're planning to do now and then they'll say okay well we'll hit that number by that date and we'll just let it scroll from there to there uh as because really you're not really owing the money until that day happens like you spend money right. like oh i'm gonna pay a stimulus check let's say every day but technically you didn't spend that money even though you may have allocated it, you didn't really spend it yet until each of those days. So I'm sure they just spread it out, but it's way more dramatic with the numbers spinning. <laughs> it's so much more dramatic. Yeah. No, it's just definitely running up based on some algorithm. And then if it gets added tremendously, they somebody just goes in and just like changes 28, 34. Cool. Let's keep, let's keep going. No, Change yeah. the rate at speed <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. faster. Yeah, now, yeah. there was one good piece of news we didn't show you on that calculator, and it's actually at the bottom. Wait, that, you're going to say assets per citizen versus yeah. liabilities per citizen. Dude, I saw that and I'm like, well, that's actually not that bad. <laughs> that, that's the one good thing we have, right? But then you think about it this, okay? So 596,000 uh, is the average assets per citizen, right? Versus 473,000 liability per citizen. But imagine- That is so not the case. There's no way that's real. That's just average, which is not accurate. Well, it, average. You got Bill yeah. Gates. Come on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so think about it this way, right? What if, let's say hypothetically, the, the real estate market fell in a major way? You know, like I'm just saying like 20% and the stock market fell 20%. Then we're at a you know position where possibly our assets are under our liabilities. And it's not like liabilities really change, right? Um, you know, if, if you still owe a bunch of money in real estate or, or whatever, you're, you still got those liabilities. You still got that debt there. So um, it, it's good right now because real estate's high, stocks are high. But man, if things I, flip, also I, just, I just love how flawed statistics are, though. It's like me and Bill Gates are in the same room. It's like, oh, the average person in that room makes 500 million a year. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. It's just basically yeah. that. Oh, gosh. But uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, the question is, are we going to have Social Security when we're up there in age, guys? What do you guys think? Any chance? Yeah, God. it's yeah. Oh, yeah. There's going to be something. Listen, I can't imagine they get rid of Social Security. That would be I don't think there's anyone who says, yeah, let's get rid of it. So I think if the worst case, we get a little bit less. Realistically, they're going to find a way to tax it. You're going to find out they're, they're going to more taxes are going to be needed. They'll pay it off. They'll find a way. Hmm. Become a or little bit more like Europe, in other words, where the taxes are higher, the social benefits are higher. But uh, in, in turn, you know, Europe also has slower growth rates and again, higher taxes. But hey, then you have less of the extremes of where you have really rich people and really poor people and maybe more more kind of right. equally uh, dispersed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be interested I, I, you know, if, if there's ever an, a way to opt out and be like, you know what? I'm going to choose. I want this money now. I will opt out and uh, in return, I'll, I'll be on my own. I'll take care of myself. They thought about that last year. They were taught that somebody introduced a bill to let you take your Social Security as like a monthly stimulus check. Yeah, but then you wouldn't get uh, a stimulus or then you wouldn't get Social Security in the future. Uh, it didn't oh. go anywhere. <laughs> That's crazy. It actually reminds me of um, AGT, America's Got Talent. So the winner is supposed to win a million dollars. But in AGT's contract, it states that they don't have to. So you actually have two choices. You can either get the payout right away at like a 40% discount or 60%. I forget what it was. Or you can have it be paid out uh, over a period of time, over the course of your life. And yeah. I have a friend that I know that actually has one. And to this day, he's not received anywhere near that million dollars because technically they could pay you a dollar every year until like your 90th birthday and give you the rest of the $999,000. I've never really heard of that. Usually they're paid as an annuity and the annuity has a cash value up front. You're always supposed to take the cash value up front. Right. Mathematically, it always works. If they're going to pay you over time, they theoretically don't have to pay you the full amount until at their discretion, essentially. Uh, I've never heard that before, but uh, I know with Sneaky the lottery. contracts. Yeah, I've seen it. It's like yeah. an Evergrand contract is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we from now on, we call those the Evergrandes. <laughs> <laughs> They're too expensive. They, they, they cost you money. Should have been the first red flag when people are like, oh, I can invest in, in, a, in a, you know, a, a venti you know, or a grande coffee or whatever. Big mistake. No, it should be, uh, you know, 20 cent iced coffee. I don't know. Does anybody else around here have 20 cent iced coffee? Hey, now that we're on the subject of, of Chinese coffee, I'm thinking, what happened to Luckin Coffee? Oh, I remember <laughs> um, that. Auditing scams, just like how in China you had an auditor in the spring, I think it was May, say, don't worry, Evergrande's totally fine. Everything's good. 
just like uh, you had Jim Cramer uh, back, uh, uh, say, what was it, back in 2008, say about Bear, uh, Bear Stearns. It was like March of 2008. Bear Stearns, Jim Cramer's like, don't take your money out of Bear Stearns at $80. Bear Stearns is fine. Two months later, sells in liquidation to J.P. Morgan Chase for $10. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Crazy. And so anyway, they like, never... Sorry, luck in. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What's that on? Have you, that? have you guys heard of that coffee, Kopi Luwak? No, I have not. Yeah, it's like the most expensive coffee in the world. And it's basically cat poo poo. It's kind of crazy. They harvest it from animals. And oh. it's, yeah, you've probably I've, heard about it before. I've heard of this. Yes, it, it's supposed to pass through an animal that provides yeah. it with like a different taste or something. And then they roast it afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Kopi yeah, Luwak. Whatever. You can make a lot of money on <laughs> bankroll from that, Graham. You should consider it. Do it. Just use, use humans instead. Just oh, use, oh. Use, use Jack. <laughs> I want to know, we had a rough day in stocks and crypto. What'd y'all do? Sleep right through it. <laughs> what? Andre first? That's what I heard. I slept right through it. I love it. Wait, you slept until 1 p.m.? I actually slept till 11 today. I'm so jealous. Are you serious? I was up Why? until like 3 a.m. and got two wow. hours of sleep to wake up at 5.11 or whatever it was. Why'd you sleep in so late? That I don't know. I can't or stay up that later. Yeah, I did stay up late. Kevin, you're putting out like 10 videos a day, man. That's why you like, you're on the grind more than ever. Holy smoke, is yeah. that even focus? So... I'm still obsessed with the debt clock, guys. I got to go back there, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, we're going back to the debt clock, okay? 2025, the debt clock says 176% <laughs> debt to GDP. Oh, wait, I, I got to fade it. I think we should screenshot this and see if it's accurate. $1.6 million assets per citizen versus 596. <laughs> look at these numbers. Just look at them. <laughs> Oh man! Well, anyway, talk about the housing market. That's kind of interesting. How do oh, you yeah, you know over the stock market? How do we oh, talk sorry, about, let's back to and not talk right, about the stock market? Yeah. What, what you guys No one wants to talk about stocks. What? Okay, no, now I'll talk, I about, I'll talk about. it. I listen. <laughs> I loaded up on the usual. Okay, I bought my usual. I bought a little bit more on the. I noticed like towards the end of the day, things were accelerating. So I bought more of the usual that you could also find out down below in the description. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that, was a, that was a good plug in the description. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, you know what I found interesting is still, you know, I'm sorting through my list of stocks and there's, there's really nothing in there that uh, was at a price where it's like, wow, I can't believe it's trading at this level. A lot of these were the same prices that we saw last week. Yeah, we got a run up, and now we just got a run. Basically, we're down to last week's values. Not on everything. There's some stocks that you know, I think are, are reasonable, but uh, I don't know. There's there's nothing out there. There's like I can't believe this is selling for this. End phases. I I bought end phase. Uh, I, I yeah. I just I look. 
I had to spend money today. I don't know. It was a problem. I even like wrote a message. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm done sending alerts. I'm, I'm done. I'm done buying stocks. And like two hours later, I bought more. And then like two hours later, I bought some crypto. Um, I bought Ethereum. Oh, I got so pissed at Coinbase this morning, by the way. Like Ethereum was like right where I wanted it. And I almost pulled my hair out at how crappy the app is right in the middle of like, you're trying to like do a trade and it's like, I'm trying to buy Ethereum with USDC and how am I supposed to know I can't just go into Ethereum and buy it there. Apparently I have to go to USDC and then figure out USDC exchanges. And it's like, this is why Robinhood actually has merit. They make stuff easy. You know, people like to crap on Robinhood, but I'll tell you, before Robinhood came around, nobody was talking about options as much as they do today. How is Ethereum 2800 right now with all the minor fear? It should well, be 2700. Wait, so what price did you get in at? Oh, I don't know. I bought twice like, today. Were, were you trying to get in at 27, 2750? It, it yeah, I don't know. I bought one, it, I bought once this morning. It was probably like 28 and then I bought again later today. Uh, Cardano though, and I think that was right around, uh, uh, I don't know, where, where Ethereum, what, it's actually, it hasn't moved that much. Where is it now? uh ethereum's at 2847 no, i bought cardano at like 204 or something like that which i think is right where it is now no it's at 206 now but whatever the point is i i added it in a little bit and um but yeah i definitely went stock shopping uh, i hope we get a nice rebound tomorrow too uh it's uh to me it's just nonsense this this anxiety the market's seeing all of a sudden not if, i don't not even think anybody really knows why Sorry. Yeah, not if Evergrande has anything to say about it. So let's let's. Well, that's that's the big uh, thing, in my yeah. opinion. It's just Evergrande. Right. Do you, do you, Andre and uh, Kevin, do you guys feel like um, in any way like Cardano or Cardana or whatever, ADA, uh, Cardano. Ethereum, yeah, and Ethereum <laughs> are at war at all? Like, do you do you feel like those? There's kind of like investor bases polling, like ADA is the way to go. No, Ethereum's sure. the way to go. Do you feel like those are at battle a little bit or, or not yeah. really? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's, yeah. Expanding pie. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Okay. Yeah. Well. Well. You know, Charles Hoskins, the guy who created Cardano, he was one of the co-founders uh, co of Ethereum. So naturally, there have to be some tensions. Yeah. Wow. See, at least though, with crypto, you get an expanding pie. With tattooed chef, all you get are expanded bowels. Kevin, Kevin I've been so peaceful. Just, just, Kevin went there. Let's Jeremy, what do you have to say? What do you have to say about it? You're not going to let Kevin get away with that, are you? Okay, Graham, Graham, don't, don't, don't start me, man. Once I go down that rabbit hole, man, we're not coming back. I just want to pour gasoline over this. Just see what no, happens. no, no, no. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But um, anyways, so I was thinking about buying some stocks today, guys. But right before I started buying, I started thinking about the U.S. debt clock. And have you guys <laughs> Let's pull that up once more. <laughs> have you guys seen what it's at? Oh, Kevin, what is that? 
That's nice. That's a nice oh, mask. Th this is for the alliance. I'm trying to signal that we should have an alliance and not uh, the enemies. Oh, that's yeah. nice, man. I appreciate that. By the way, is that an actual real mask that actually works, Kevin? Or is that just like... This is an actual real mask that you can buy off Etsy. In terms of effic efficacy against COVID, it's basically zero. But it gets <laughs> yeah. me into the restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, How wait, wait. Let me... Let me I, look. This is YouTube. We have to wear it appropriately. <laughs> it's me every time I go out and I have an excuse. I just get bring a little bit of water bottle and I'm just like always with my mask off. <laughs> I'm just always drinking at like a turtle face. Oh, what is it? You're you're walking around and it's just you're just walking yeah. around like this. All right, guys. Let's with, continue with the, the, the dip mug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take a sip. Oh gosh, that's funny. So, so question is back to ADA and Ethereum. Could could one of those win and the other one lose, or would you guys say they're both destined for massive success? And where do you see the massive success coming for those, as far as actual applications for both of those? I can't answer that last question. I don't know. We'll find out. But I think Ethereum and Cardano will definitely coexist. I think Ethereum's pretty much guaranteed to succeed at well, they already are. I think Cardano, as long as they become, I guess, decentralized. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think they'll definitely succeed. Car Cardano. I've been trying to get Charles Hoskinson on, on to come to my YouTube channel, but I can't get to him. I got him on Twitter. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and then he never did. So I'd love to hear more about it from him because obviously he understands the project really well, but I'm not super cued in on the Cardano. I know Kevin knows probably a lot more than I do about it. So, so you, you don't Kevin, you give us a bullish case on Cardano. You don't own Cardano, uh, Andre. I do, but not a ton. I do no. not a ton. Wow. No. So you put money in something you don't even know about. That's it. That's, that's intriguing. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I like you with Voyager. Not, when has real world applications in one, you just said, you don't know, even know what's going on there. I, I just don't get it, man. No, I, I, I know what's going on. I have a vague idea, but I don't want to give people specifics because, again, crypto is like this rabbit hole where if you explain one little detail wrong, people are just going to eat you alive. So I don't want to talk out of turn and say something. Oh, that's a bunch of baloney. All right, Kevin, maybe you're man enough to do something here and explain Cardano. Holy smoke. I would just look, it's just supposed to be cheaper, faster, more efficient, you know, more blocks processed uh, than than Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum has its upgrades coming. Cardano has its upgrades coming to Ethereum's upgrades. It's just a constant give and take. Ultimately, what's going to happen is you're going to create marketplaces where companies, it's going to be up to the private market to determine, okay, I can provide better, faster, smart contracts using this particular technology, right? That's what it's going to come down to is an actual use. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe in the future that'll be insurance or it'll be like decentralized arbitration for disputes or uh, some form contracts. of, I don't know, transactions or whatever. Uh, they, but, but, you know, we've also got great ways of conducting transactions now. So, you know, who knows? I don't know. Maybe maybe there'll be a crypto killer for a firm, the buy now, pay later platform. Sure. It'll be like a yeah. decentralized buy now, pay later. Right? There are endless opportunities. I think now the excitement for crypto is around, wow, we can do so much. Now let's see what is actually profitable uh, that happened that works faster and in a more secured manner. I certainly think uh, one of the biggest opportunities is just transferring money faster. Uh, like, for example, I want to wire money to 
uh, to, to Weeble. It, it, you know, if I miss the wire cutoff time, I got to wait for the next day to send. They don't process it until midnight. So I'm not going to get my funds to Weeble until Thursday. It's like that could happen, you know, within 15 minutes with Bitcoin. That could happen, uh, you know, very quickly with, with the other platforms, uh, even quicker with the others. So uh, I think the actual uses are still being developed, but uh, there's so much excitement over blockchain and, and getting away from, uh, you know, really centralized finance. So, you know, and also, private markets great. Another big opportunity, Jeremy, is also for, for the legal industry to, I guess, migrate some of the contracts over to smart contracts, because then we wouldn't have to have maybe arbitrage in the courts because you sign smart contracts that out outline certain laws and things like that. A lot of people are expecting, you know, that's going to end up on the blockchain. Stocks are going to go on the blockchain, you know. And, and, and every blockchain, by the way, has what's called the trilemma problem. And this is something Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, talked about, which is uh, the trilemma is that there's three options that you have. There's there's decentralization, scalability, and what was the third one? And security. So you kind of have to pick two right now. Um, Cardano and Ethereum are probably the closest blockchains that are trying to solve all three through various methods of very complicated technologies that there's just like a can of worms you probably don't want to open up but those are the three that we are always focusing on. now bitcoin as we know it right now is very heavy on two it's heavy on decentralization and security but it cannot scale very well because like if you think if you think of crypto as like a like a game character it's like we put all of our like uh i guess exp or of our or of our points into just two of them for decentralization security is what bitcoin's really good at but it can't really scale really well um, you have similar problems with Ethereum and Cardano, where they're really scalable and they're really secure, but they're not necessarily the most decentralized. And so, as you know, to Kevin's point, we're going to find niche blockchains that are good at whatever specific application needs it to be good at. So, in in Bitcoin's case, if you want a the application of money, you want it to be secure and decentralized, right? Those are the biggest priorities. You don't necessarily need it to scale. Again, if we don't use Bitcoin as a currency, who cares? It's going to be a, a kind of like a, a, a gold 2.0. Um, but if you were to use uh, smart contracts and like crazy things like NFTs, then you probably want it to be cheap and scalable to people around the world. And so, again, different kind of niche concepts will, will, will benefit certain blockchains. I don't okay. know if that's yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Um, shout out to all our uh, millennial money members. Um, we got one of our members, Javier. He says Cardano doesn't work. He says, where is Cardano smart contracts working? He says, I'm a developer waiting for Cardano to do smart contracts. That's what he's saying. Do you have any response to that? Well, look, he's also pumping another coin and he's been spamming this for the last 10 minutes. So we, we could go into, yeah, we, we can go long on, on crypto discussions, but I don't know. Do I mean, do, do we really want to go, go down the rabbit hole? Uh, right I, I now? Would answer like, this for like 30 seconds. Yeah. 30 seconds. Uh, and let's yeah. get back to stocks. So uh, Cardano started doing sample contracts uh, in, in their prior versions, but they just did a big Hydra update and they just came out with a new opportunity essentially for everybody to do uh, smart contracts rather than just select smaller groups and so look when a platform's brand freaking new people who are pumping other coins 
are probably not going to have the patience to learn a new new platform. And this is really what Charles Hoskinson has been saying is, hey, look, you've got to create something that functions for this specific platform. And I think let's probably leave it at that. There's always going to be hate and complaints for something that's new. I don't really care. Don't buy a card off. It doesn't matter to me. I, I don't look at it as hate or complaints. I think that's completely the wrong way you're looking at it, Kevin. I think it's it's a fair question he's asking. Are are we, are they doing smart contracts right now or not? Yeah. I think, okay. Yeah, they are. They, well, I did just answer that. That they just mm -hmm. came out with smart contracts. It's a brand new thing that now everybody has access to. And I said it's going to take time. So my point is, when somebody's spamming the same thing, <laughs> you know, we pick up on that one thing uh, to go. Oh, they're a developer. They they must have the unlimited yeah. knowledge. Okay, that's it. We got we got to go with the level of skepticism and probably have uh, have a full more detailed conversation about it. But uh, look, hey. If if uh, if you're not a, here's the thing, if, if my my belief is whether it's a stock, whether it's real estate or it's crypto, if you don't believe in it, don't invest in it because if it goes down, you're gonna sell it at a loss. Do not invest in something you don't believe in. When I go through a house and I'm like, you know, I I, I could run some numbers, maybe make this work, but if I don't feel it, I'm out of there. I don't buy it. It's the same thing for stocks. I get into a stock. Sometimes I change my mind and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I looked at this wrong. I'm out of there. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's uh, what I did with Tattoo Chef. You know, I went into a really bullish uh, and, and I, I thought, hey, this to me is a $20 stock. And it was like 17 or 16 at the time when I bought it. Ran to $24. I got out. Uh, you know, I changed my mind. So no matter what it is, Everybody can have different opinions. It's the same for coins as it is for real estate as it is for stocks. Yeah. The unfortunate part though about crypto's opinions is just people are so irrational with buying their opinions that that there's there's less logic and there's more emotion and people treat it like a sports team. That's what that's what I'm getting to. I'm like, I, I don't get it because I mean every single stock I ever talk about, I get second guessed by a thousand people. Like, why are you buying that stock? I don't know about that stock. And and it's like right. I accept that as a stock market yeah. investor. I know there's going to be a million people that are either against that stock or like, I don't know. That sounds like a crap stock. Yeah, right? there's, there's logical conversations around it. But in crypto, there is no logic. It's like, oh, you like this coin, you're a scammer. And it's just like, I, I hate making crypto videos for that reason, because there's no logical conversation. It's just like either people think you're a scammer that's pumping something or you're the smartest person in the world. Like there's no in between, there's no intellectual conversation that happens. That's exactly the issue. I feel like there's a lot of issues. One, Andre, you felt a little scared to speak about this Cardano because you're like, I don't, you know, people get a little crazy. I don't, it's like, that's BS. Like speak about it. Like if you make a mistake, who cares? Like if I make a mistake on a stock, who cares? Like it is what it is. Um, except, and then Kevin, I felt well, like you just got really well, people, offensive. I think it. people take, I think people can take things out of context and you know, you don't want to look like the idiot. So i just don't you know it's like speaking don't. about religion jeremy if you say yeah. something bad about the other guy's religion they're coming for you they get angry yeah. right angry you say, well, you know, I, I disagree you yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, the, well, the, I, I agree with what Graham's saying that, yes, there, there's a lot of that that's almost like it's like politics, like <clears throat> like you don't care in California's last election. You don't care about the policies of Gavin Newsom. You care about the fact that you hate the other person and you're fearful of the other person. Right. It's kind of like that in politics. Same thing. If you were like a Larry Elder fan, you hate Gavin Newsom. Right. And it doesn't matter what the policies are. Or the details are. But uh, I mean, just to respond, I, I mean, I don't think I, I necessarily get like 
uh, mad. Uh, I just think I uh, I get passionate about my responses that we, we've got to be clear and, and put all the context together. You know, somebody who's crapping on one coin, but then notorious or, and, and regularly spamming another coin, it's kind of like, oh, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you ask the question, let's make sure we also include that context. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that, that that's fair enough. But yeah, I, I love I love a fundamental discussion about different things, whether yeah. stocks or cryptos and like what is so people are aware of what's actually happening with these projects, where they're actually at, because it's so much hype in hysteria. And it's like, oh, it's, uh, and it's like, OK, OK, where are they actually at? Like what is really going on right now? What's the truth behind this? Right. Um, well, and, and you, know, you know, the downside, Jeremy, is that in crypto, it, the fundamentals go through a phase because when if you create a blockchain if you create a coin it, it kind of has all three that that trilemma i talked about the security the decentralization scalability every crypto is perfect when there's like 100 people using it and that's why when the internet the the person who's not necessarily like the most intelligent about that thing they're not like a software developer they can't read the code when they discover it, they're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I just found the holy grail, right? And it really is because it works when there's 100 people that know about it. But as the technology scales and becomes bigger, the problems become more obvious. And that trilemma starts to really rear its head. And then you realize like, oh, my gosh, I understand now why people are going for Bitcoin and Ethereum or Cardano or whatever it is. It's because they're scaled at a, at a, at a massive amount of people. And so we know a lot more about those projects than we do some of the like the nascent little ones that no one talks about, but people pump about all the time because they, they really are perfect because there's 100 people using it. Yeah, that, so that makes that make fundamentals change as the project gets bigger, whereas whereas in stocks, it, it, it's not quite like that. Like once you make a fundamental case for a stock, you could believe in that and, and, and you can ride it to the moon. It, just, it doesn't really change to that degree like crypto does. That that makes a lot of sense there, Andre. And I've definitely heard over time a lot of these projects, you know, the bullish thesis around them, if we want to call it that, changes, right? Bitcoin right. back in 1718 was like everybody's going to use this for all transactions. And and I don't hear anybody saying that now. Now it's, it's tulips. I think you're thinking about tulips, not Bitcoin. So yeah. <laughs> That's what that's all I heard back in the day. And now it's like, well, no, uh, Bitcoin, it's, it's a store of wealth. It's like uh, digital gold, you know, and that's Correct. that's the thing. Why, why is that? Why is that? It's because in the beginning, in 1718, back in my anyway, it, it's because back then very few people used it, which means yeah. miners could charge less in cost and transaction costs. So we did use it. And as it became more popular, we couldn't scale it. The fees became extremely high and the narrative changed to wait a minute. If we want to keep this technology in the same incarnation as it is now, it can't be a currency. It has to be a store of value. Mm -hmm. that, that's my whole point. Like it evolves as it becomes bigger and you start to discover its problems. Bitcoin will never be the world's currency. Uh, I think it's it's a great opportunity for countries like El Salvador to basically what they're doing is they're uh, – they're, they're, they're recognizing they can't operate their own currency because nobody trusts a government of 6.8 million people who's going to have their own currency and potentially mismanage it. So why not just peg your own to, to something you can't really manipulate? You know, El right. Salvador, 
Uh, El Salvador's economy is a rounding error for this three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure package that, that we're talking about in Congress, right? It's, it's so tiny. Like, look, for countries like that, great. Go for it. Crypto wallets. Awesome. Uh, but what, what I think will really be uh, a, a currency will be a, something like a digital dollar. And this is when uh, we, we get uh, people choosing. I'm going to use USDC, which is not from the federal government, right? Even though it, it, it sounds like it is USDC. Uh, but then we actually get a real digital dollar uh, a central bank digital currency uh, that's that's what's going to be our money that's the kind of stuff that we use what kind of network it uses that's going to be interesting who knows maybe it all gets built out on the ethereum network right or cardano network or whatever it's probably not gonna be the bitcoin network certainly not this one maybe when they when they upgrade but um, that that'll be fascinating to me. right Cool. Right. What about real estate? Do we want to transition to real estate? I think, we, yeah. I think we should talk about this whole solo thing. Uh, Kevin, did you see that you were featured on Philip DeFranco today? I did. I actually saw yeah. it like 30 minutes before Millennial Money. I'm like, oh, snap. And it was after the whole Gabby Petito thing, which which I'm like, my heart goes out for, for that. I've been That's wanting so to make sad, videos yeah. about Gabby and I just, I haven't gotten around to it, but I've been following the story like crazy. And like, I want all the attention on, on her. Uh, I do, I will say though, I, I felt honored to be in that same video on, on like that level of yeah. a Philip DeFranco video. So yeah, thank you I that. listen, I agree with your argument. I thought I watched that TikTok. I thought it was the stupidest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. And it blows my mind how kids are eating this up on TikTok. You know, I swear yes. you could make, you listen, some guy could say whatever he wants on TikTok and every oh my god, wow, they're doing it. And you know what? People love pointing the finger. They hate Zillow. They hate Redfin. Yes. Any big company is bad. Anyone making money is bad. Anyone making a profit, that's that's shameful. And I'm, I'm listening. It makes no sense. He's pulling figures out of his rear end. Nothing. He Like, there's no facts. And I'm saying, like, like you, Kevin, I'm like, do you realize how big of an undertaking that would be to buy up a neighborhood, drive up the price above market value? Like, come on. It's like buying, it's like buying every iPhone and be like, all right, well, now the iPhone's $5,000. Graham's triggered. It's stupid <laughs> because it, there's, there's two things that I that I don't like. Uh, I can't seem to get into TikTok. So already, anything already there, it's just like, I, you know, I'm against it already. And then people who spread misinformation about real estate. Yeah. It's 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 a it, and it's and it's common sense. It's not something that takes nuance to understand. This isn't something that like you really have to dive into the research. And be like, okay, no, they're not doing that. It's just blatant, like just yeah. misinformation that people. That's because believe. Graham, you're part of the elite real estate club. Oh, God, Graham, no. Graham, can you can you get into a little bit about what this guy was saying? Because I'm sure a lot of our viewers don't even have a clue what's what's actually yeah. going on All here. Right. What was he so said this guy? This guy makes has the audacity to say that Zillow is paying above market value for homes, and and by which, by the way, uh, I, I did do research on that, and they are paying a, a very competitive price for real estate. Okay, so I'll, I'll give him that. Okay, but his, his claim is that wait a second, if they go and buy every house in the neighborhood, then they could set their own market value. And then they could start selling them off to people at 20% markups. But it's like any rational person would think about this. Think That's stupid. That's bad. It doesn't make any sense. So, but, but people don't think. They, they just, they take advice from this guy on TikTok 
who makes up he, he, he's spreading lies really but uh but his argument is that zilla would would buy up all these houses and then sit on them and then mark them up because they they take over the inventory they they don't realize that like first of all to be able to buy up all to be up to, uh, to buy enough real estate to actually make an impact on the market value would take decades and, and more money than Zilla would know what to do with. They would have to so strategically buy it. And then, and then what happens where, where all of a sudden all your neighbors sold to Zillow and you're like one of the last remaining ones. Don't you go and say, well, Zillow, uh, I see you're buying everything. How about mine? I'm not going to sell unless you offer me 10 times market value. It's just like it doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Kevin addressed it in his video. I thought it was, Kevin was more respectful than I was about this. It's just, it's so bad. I don't know. Well, I, I here's here's the thing. Brain, yeah. Look, this is the problem with like I wanted to do a TikTok reaction to it, but the problem is it takes more than a minute to respond to it. Even a three minute is not enough. If you get a three minute TikTok, uh, and the attention span is much shorter on TikTok, it took me eight minutes to deconstruct the bullcrap he spewed in one minute uh and that's a pisser because that's exactly like you said graham how misinformation spreads i think it even elevates to the status of disinformation it's almost like the intention of the video is let me come up with some bullcrap to show how corporations are greedy and it's just full speculation no research no evidence no citations. It's literally just bullcrap. It's it it's to me, it's just as bad as saying, you know what? That person walking down the streets, he just took his pants off and, and did something to himself in in front of children over there. Please arrest that person. It's just like like it it's gonna take way longer to defend yourself against that kind of thing if the cops show up or when the cops show up than it is for that person to make the accusation. 20-second accusation could be a 20-minute police stop for somebody else and an investigation. It's it's ludicrous, and it's it's just blatantly wrong. So did this thing actually blow up that big and get that yeah. popular? It blew up so big that, that Zillow responded to it. Yeah. It, this thing got So like we're talking like millions of views? views yeah. What? How many? Four million, five million views in like a week. And a very, like the way the TikTok algorithm works, if it finds something, and and here's the thing. The problem is that people are looking for a reason to be triggered. They're looking for something to be angry at. And when they're scrolling elephant toothpaste videos and they come across this and they're like, that's the reason I'm angry. This, let me share this. Wow. This guy just like came up. That's the, so then, then that's how this, this spreads. But uh, what Kevin was saying is like, you have to think like the the, the mentality of someone watching that uh, isn't going to listen to a, a well thought out argument. That takes too much brain to do that. So instead, it's like this is bad. They're doing this. This is big deal. That's that's all they can do. So the problem is that like information like that spreads really, really, really fast, and then it dies out. But when it spreads like that, because of how easy that is to digest. Zillow is, they have to respond to that. It's not like YouTube where it's like, it'll get views over like a year. This thing will get views for like a few days and it's dead. And and the problem too is the the original uh, misinformation, disinformation will get way more views than the actual responses or follow-ups. And that's the problem because you get triggered, but then you never hear reality. And the same thing happens in our elections, and it's a big problem.
Well, the way that I addressed it, because <clears throat> I'm making a video about it on Friday, isn't quite as passionately dismissive as you guys, because I'm not a real estate agent. And, um, but well, perfect. <laughs> it's then I little... can respond to you messing it up. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. I'm not agreeing to his video. I'm just saying that kind of like how, you know, we have Trojan horse video titles in YouTube. Yeah. It's more of like a Trojan horse approach where it's like, because I actually looked up at the Vegas real estate market to look at all the Zillow offering. Now they have like 46 houses here in Vegas out of like 4,000. So they're not making any dent whatsoever. But in the video, I actually show quite a few of the properties they own, which I mean, I can tell you an address right now um, that, and, I, and I've had like five or six examples of just like the ones I've checked that they do actually buy. So if you want to look it up and if you want to throw it on screen, I can show you, but I will just read it to you right here. They, um, they bought a house. They, so somebody listed for sale, um, six, 11, 2021 for 525 K. Okay. So it sat on the market until, uh, June, July, August 5th. And then they sold it to Zillow for, uh, let's see, 569,000. So whatever, 45, Five forty-four thousand above asking. What's the address? And that's after. Uh, here, I'll show you. It's it's the. It is six six four zero Chimes Tower Avenue. Six six four zero. A bunch of subscribers showing up now. No, I I have I have I, I have quite a few examples of, of yeah. really interesting data where just kind of like why is that happening? They they list something for sale. It sits on the market for like a month, and then they get offered like thirty or forty thousand above asking. Which looks very suspicious. <laughs> you know what? But but Zillow Zillow has a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of money where they could throw at this thing just for inventory. So yeah, just for tax like, loss purposes. But 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 think of this like instead of them spending thirty thousand on marketing, their their version of marketing is uh, what we're talking about here. Hey, Zillow's paying a high price for the house. Maybe I should sell my house to Zillow. And then they get a whole right. bunch of people going and trying to sell their houses to Zillow and Zillow could gain some market share. Um, well, well, yeah. And the reason that I think that's going on is just because they, they want to do the Amazon model where they could operate on, on, on loss for a few years. Right. All they want to do yeah. is just, is just have everyone have like the best user experience. Like, Oh, you want to sell your house? Cool. Press this button on Zillow. It's sold. You know, they just want like the best user experience. And if they have to operate at a loss for a few years and get some tax write-offs, they don't care. Um, and, and I think in the short term, it's like way overblown, but I think long term, like if we we're to look at like late stage capitalism, yeah, this could be a problem, which is why I think people are, are reacting the way they are is because if you extrapolate this data 30, 40 years in the future, oh. if they truly do own a lot of the market, then yeah, it would be a problem. So Zillow is a stock I've, I've always thought about owning and I've always kept an eye on it. I remember a few years ago. Look at no, that. Okay. So, so, sorry, 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 Jamie. Don't interrupt, interrupt you. So, okay, property history. It's sold to Zillow. Look at property history. It's um, it, This is sus. This is weird. Okay, I can give you five more examples like that. That doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. And and like I said, the, the most sense that it makes is just like they're, they're probably just taking a loss for either advertising or tax write-offs or whatever it is. But I'm telling you, I can give you like three or four more examples right now. Yeah, this like, I, I mean... Well, first of all, let's let's just make it very clear. How does that make sense? It's sitting for a month and a half, no offers. Wouldn't you get a discount on that? Why would you overpay? It's no, no, not no, getting no. a lot of offers. We, so we got to separate these things. Okay. Number one, uh, I just want to make it crystal freaking clear that the uh, TikTok guy's argument was that it's really easy 
to buy up homes in a, in a same neighborhood for $300,000 and then your last right. one overpay for it and, and then raise the price of all the homes, That's right? Silly. Because yeah. somehow you could raise the price of all homes with one comp, which is not true anyway. Uh, so completely fallacious argument. You can't get that many homes in the same neighborhoods anyway. Okay, now this particular listing. Now let's get to what you're talking about here. So in this particular listing, it, there, there, are, there are two things that could have happened here. Uh, number one, uh, it's very worth noting that this house was a rental property. It sold in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, for 419. We know that, and, and it's probably different in, in Vegas, but roughly home prices went up about uh, 20% uh, nationwide, roughly 20%. So this is about a $500,000 property. Some probably this seller decided, or, or the person who bought it, decided to resell it now in the summer of 2021 because home prices went up so much. Price goes to 525 is what they listed for. Uh, it looks like it sat on the market, like you said, for, for about a month or whatever. Uh, they removed it, and then it shows sold to Zillow for 569 which is odd. Okay, why, why, is, why is it higher than the list price? I agree. That's odd. I wonder... Uh, what was what was like what that contract looks like because that 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 is weird. I agree with you. This should have sold for less, not more. Right. Uh, right. Kevin, now, now let me ask you: What yeah. if they had multiple offers? What if they had another offer on the table and Zillow said, "Okay, we'll match." Yes, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Why would they have a competing offer when it's been sitting for over a month? You never know. Yeah. So, there that's where it's weird because. If it was multiple offers at 525, then you'd think uh, that uh, the market would would have been more receptive to to offering on this property uh, around around 549 a month or two later. But then again, the market has cooled. So yeah, maybe this is this is a potential explanation. Is maybe when they got this deal into contract, they got this deal in July thinking the market's hot, it's booming, things are moving, prices are going up like crazy. Problem is, when you look at the data, home sales have slowed down. They slowed down right when the school season started. School season started right when they listed this property thinking, we're going to get a profit on this. We put 10 grand of new paint into it. Now we're going to turn around and flip it. But unfortunately, the market turns on them. They way overpriced the darn thing. It was maybe worth that. Maybe it was worth five sixty nine there. But now the market slowed down. Price goes down. They list for way above. The listing turns stale because here they are leaving out on the market for over a month, and they're still overpriced. And so now it'll probably sell for you know well it's going to sell for less than they paid for it. So my take okay. here is that this is probably a shift in the Vegas real estate market more than it is uh, Zillow. Like it's it's whoever bought the house for Zillow was being stupid. Let's put it that way. They didn't analyze the data. They didn't look at the Redfin data center probably because they look at they work at Zillow. Sorry, I had to throw that little jab in there. Uh, but anyway. This to me looks like a market shift and buyer stupidity, in this case, Zillow stupidity, which could go back to Graham's argument that it was okay to overpay for marketing purposes. Yeah. yeah. It's also it weird, actually... I have to say, whoever listed it for 601 200 it would be like any agent would be like, just 599 it. That's it. Yeah, like dumb, dumb yeah. listing price too. It yeah. goes to show the employees that Zillow has 
are being idiots because Zillow's probably like growth at all costs. We must compete against Open Door. We must compete against uh, 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 you know Redfin. And here they are overpaying because they think oh the market's going crazy and they don't realize the school system shift. And and then six oh one good catch, Graham. That's dumb. Yeah. So that's a great explanation for why they did that. But still, I think as far as people's overreaction about like how you know, maybe maybe corporations shouldn't be buying homes, I think is still valid. Because if you get Why? to the extreme end of that, because if you get to the extreme end of that and corporations start buying homes and they start to actually control big markets in the future, like this, this is a good example of that because they only have 46 homes in Las Vegas out of 4,000. So it's a very small dent. But yeah. is it really that hard to believe in, in a foreseeable future where those these kinds of companies do have enough capital to buy up a substantial amount, regardless of their listing price being stupid or not? The fact that they have the capital to then buy up these kinds of homes and overpay for them, isn't that a potential problem in the future? I think that's that's a fair case to say, like, maybe we should be wary about that. No, I don't think so at all. I think that uh, corporations are, are essentially just like people and that, uh, the sure, there might be people with more money. There might be corporations or LLCs with more money, but uh, it's a competitive market. Uh, just like there's Redfin, Zillow, and Open Door, they are competing against every mom and pop investor. They're competing against syndicates. They're competing against BlackRock uh, and Invitation Homes, right? It's a very competitive landscape. And ultimately, the people who win in, in that kind of landscape, the more buyers you get in a market, the people who win are the people who bought real estate earlier. So the yeah, lesson so is don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait and don't overpay like Zillow. <laughs> yeah. So I guess Kevin's fundamental argument is just like, hey, just let capitalism run its course. And then the other people that are upset are like, well, you know, maybe there there's a limit at for which we don't allow certain corporations with access to billions of dollars and and leverage power to just buy up neighborhoods. So I'm not saying that that's one is right or the other, the other is wrong. It's, but it, I think it is a, a competing uh, perspective. No, I'm right. So, because okay. if government really cared yeah. about uh, making sure we had uh, affordable homes, they would allow people to build more freaking homes, which at least y'all do in Vegas. Okay. I'm going to give you that. That could also be why you see some softness in a nineties house here, because you guys do build a lot of homes, which gives buyers a more affordable opportunity to buy in. See, here's a corporation that lost money. Now a home buyer can buy this house at a discount because a corporation was a dumbass. Now the buyer is getting a better deal. They got an improved house at a discount and the corporation lost money. You want to screw the corporation? Go buy this house from Zillow and make them lose money. There you go. You screwed the corporation. You win. You go to California. California doesn't build enough homes. The problem is government sucks and you got to build more homes. Okay, so here's a question. How many homes are there total in, in Las Vegas, roughly? Do you know that, Andre? 4,000 listed about on, on, in Las Vegas, yeah. Oh, I, I was talking about like how many homes there are in total in Las Vegas. Like no, not, I not Okay, no, do you, I don't know if you can find that, Kevin, because I, I think it would be fun to run numbers on, let's say, a market like Las Vegas. Take how many homes there are average selling 259,000. Okay, so if we times out 259,000 times, let's say, uh, $350,000, which I don't know if that's our average home price here, or maybe we're higher than that. But what's that? What would be that number there, Kevin? It's so much larger than I expected, so it's going to take me a little longer. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I believe this is $90.6 billion. Okay, because what where I'm taking this is is with Andre talking about you know let's say big corporations buying up. What I was trying to do is I was trying to say 
okay, could Apple, with just Apple's cash, buy up the entire Las Vegas real estate market? And it sounds like Apple could, hypothetically, right? Of course, mm -hmm. it wouldn't work that way, right? Prices would just go crazy if Apple all of a sudden decided to buy every house in, in Vegas. So it doesn't work like that. But hypothetically, Apple has enough cash to literally buy yeah. up the entire yeah, and I'm not I'm not arguing against Kevin. All I'm saying is that I, I could see a theoretical possibility in the very late future where, like Jeremy said, that could be a scenario where that could happen. And homes just become like ridiculously overpriced. And in the future, no one's going to be able to afford their own home. That could be a scenario. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I can see why yeah. people get confused and think that and get upset about when they Andre, your internet. Andre, crazy. your internet's crazy. Andre, yeah. you're cutting left and right. Paid his uh, hasn't paid his bills. Come on. Yeah, I thought you guys were frozen. Are you guys frozen? I wasn't sure. Andre, we can't hear Sorry, you. Andre. Okay, so anyways, I want to I want to wrap up the Zillow thing with one more uh, frame of thought here. Um, as I looked in the stock many times, I remember when they first started this right, idea, they're going to actually. Okay. They're going to actually start buying homes, right? Zillow's like, we're going to start buying homes. My first thought is, okay, imagine they take out a ton of debt. They buy a massive amount of homes and then the real estate market tanks. And then they're holding all these homes that are, let's say, significantly overvalued because they got way over levered. And then next thing you know, Zillow's bankrupt because they, they way over levered themselves. And uh, it's not like Zillow, if you look at their revenues, it's not like this is some massive business that's like, wow, Zillow is such a beast. Like, heck no. Um, and it's not like it's an insanely profitable business model either the way it is. So, I mean, imagine they they take out way too much debt. The real estate market tanks for whatever reason. Next thing you know, mm -hmm. they're belly up because they, they got way over leveraged. So, yeah. that was well, my thought back in the day. Fairness, China, you know, this reference here to Evergrande, China encouraged the debt taking. Uh, and, and China is the one who last August pulled the rug and said, nah, just kidding. We don't want you taking on this much debt anymore. Yeah. You know? So like th this is an example of a confused government is, is, is uh, you know, Evergrande, you can't solely blame Evergrande. It's the Chinese government is heavily responsible uh, for the disaster that they've created with their U-turns on policies. Uh, but uh, look, the United States government has has done stupid things as well. Look at 2008. You know, now we purposefully have laws uh, that prevent that kind of 2008-style buildup again. So I'm optimistic. And, and look, I just quickly want to say, because I know we want to wrap up here, but there was a comment here, I don't know, somewhere, somebody was saying that, Oh, here it is. Ireland has a housing crisis, uh, high rents uh, that are far beyond income due to REITs and corporations buying up and driving all the housing costs nationally. So this, by the way, is really populist argument. But what we got to do is we got to actually look at the data, which we're not going to do right now. But quick summaries. How many homes are REITs and corporations actually buying compared to home buyers? How much stimulus did Ireland have and how much more money was created in Ireland, which drove up rents just like it did here in America, right? How many people relocated from downtowns to the suburbs driving up rents because now there are more people wanting to move into homes and how many fewer people wanted to sell or rent out their homes because of COVID, right? So there's so much at play. You can't just summarize real estate in a TikTok, in a tweet or a little paragraph on the YouTube comments. There's so much at play. And, and when you are in real estate, it makes a lot more sense. And that's why I encourage everybody to buy real estate. That's good. That's a great way to end the video. It's also uh, a, a great way to encourage people to use the link in the description. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we got our first sponsor. And uh, what we're doing is a little bit of a challenge between us. We're each picking five stocks. And uh, 
seeing which one of ours performs the best. So anyway, if you want that list down below in the description, thank you guys so much for watching. Also make sure to check out the millennial money clips channel that is down below in the description. All of our information is there. Make sure to subscribe. If you haven't done that already, super easy to do. Takes you a split second. Hit the like button. Thank you guys so much for watching and until next time. Peace.